0: On this episode of the Ministry of Motion Pictures podcast.
1: The, the most powerful thing in the arsenal of the film entrepreneur or of the filmmaker in general is the niche. When you're scanning through your Netflix, if you're scanning through Amazon Prime or Hulu or wherever you're watching your movies, if you're a skateboarder and all of a sudden you see a movie about skateboarding or you see a movie about uh, a documentary about skateboarding, that automatically jumps up to the top of the list, doesn't it? If you're a, if you're a surfer, um, if, if faith-based as well, like those films will jump over the hundreds of billions of dollars that the studios pay for you to know that the next Avengers or Star Wars is coming out because you're going to watch those anyway. But all of a sudden, you're focused on that thing. Why? Because you're emotionally attached to it. Indie film hustler Alex Ferrari
0: is with me again in part two of my interview with him. In this episode, we talk about his new book, The Film Entrepreneur, which you need to get your hands on. The Film Entrepreneur is a detailed and well-organized business plan for filmmakers to teach them how to survive and thrive independently. There's a wealth of hard-won information packed into these pages. I read the book in about three days, and it was hard to put down. This is episode 28. All right, let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk yeah. about your book because yeah. your book sort of pulled everything I knew about you together and it gave me um, a better picture of the value that you have created for independent filmmakers and coming at it at this time in history, which I think is so critical because so much mm-hmm. is changing in distribution and the way films are being made and sold and, and produced. Um, you're coming in for the independent filmmaker to say, wait a minute, there's a better way to do this. Um, we're, we're not beholden to, like you said, mountain, Mount Hollywood. Um, <laughs> right. You are providing an incredible service, not only because of what you're teaching, but because you've been doing this, you're, you're an example as well. And you've got the the street record behind it uh, of, of going through this. So um, and. And I think one of the critical chapters in your book is chapter 33 near the end, where you mm-hmm. gave sort of a reason for why you started indie film Hustle, why you're writing this book, mm-hmm. and what your the value is that you're trying to give independent filmmakers. You're not just trying to um, you know encourage people to get into independent filmmaking. you're trying to protect them and provide them with very specific actionable, Information that will um, allow them to do what they want to do. So, could could you talk a little bit about what motivated that and what your thinking is behind it? Because it's in your slogan, right? To to help filmmakers survive and thrive in
1: -hmm. the film
0: industry, and you know this unpacks that for me.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, I thank you so much for for saying that. Um, The concept of of film entrepreneur came, like I said, about a year ago. And when it came to me uh, in a meditation, by the way, uh, when it came to me, I, <laughs> I, I saw it right away. I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I've, I, I got, I could build something around this brand. Mm-hmm. And I think it, because the second you hear what it is, you know what it is. There, right. there, it's one of the, it's like indie film hustle. Like, Oh, okay. I get it. I understand exactly. That's what a great brand does. A great right. brand. Um, Instantly, you don't have to explain anything. Bulletproof screenwriting, like, absolutely understand what that is uh, right away. And Film Entrepreneur rang so true to me when I heard the name in my head. I was like, yes, that's going to happen. So I started to think about what I wanted to do with the Film Entrepreneur. I'm like, okay, I got to be an entrepreneurial filmmaker. Okay, boom, boom, boom. And, you know, all the years that I've been doing this podcast, uh, in the Film Hustle podcast and the, the the websites and stuff, I've, you know, as much as I share this information with you guys through my podcast, I'm learning too. You know, mm-hmm. when I get to sit down and talk to these giants, these these big people in the industry who are much more knowledgeable about things than I am in, in their field, I absorb all of that. So over the course of these Three, you know, three years, three and a half years before I started writing the book or four years before I started writing the book, I um, I absorbed so much information and so much knowledge from, from my guests and from the research and all the reading that I do. I said, I got to put this all together. And I said, well, I've been learning this online marketing and online business world because that's what I have. I have an online business. And then the film world, I'm like, can we combine these two because all the things that I'm doing to generate revenue for myself through my company can be easily be translated into a film and wait a minute and then you start breaking it all down and I, I if I tell you I wrote the whole book in about five to six weeks it just it just explode, exploded out of me wow. I was writing I was writing a thousand to two thousand to three thousand words a day wow it was just it just kept going I sat down to write. A chapter on on distribution, and I was fifteen thousand words. Yeah. Uh, when I was done, I was like, I got to break this up into like three or four chapters now, <laughs> because and it's it just wasn't true. even
0: just. It's not even just simple information. You've you've been through the the ringer on in distribution, yeah. so you've seen all the the bad things you need to be wary of, and things that I hadn't even thought about. Right.
1: Exactly. And so I, I, when I decided to write it, I was like, you know what? I think it's time for a change. And I, you know, I'm a student of the industry uh, and I, I watch the industry. I'm as I'm, I'm I'm at the street level uh, of independent film and I'm always watching. I'm always looking, I'm always reading. And between all the guests and the people that come into my show, I get a pulse of what's going on. And I came to realize that the industry as we know it, is shifting in such a radical way that nobody understands what to do. That includes independent filmmakers. That includes film distribution companies. That includes the studio system. The entire infrastructure that was is crumbling down around us. I did a whole episode called The Death of Traditional Film Distribution, which is Mm -hmm. one of my more popular episodes, because I literally break down in that episode how the entire system is completely crumbling around us. It is just... Falling around this things that were true two months ago is no longer true. That's how fast everything is moving, you know, from, you know, and you know about my whole thing with distributor and how that company went down and yeah. now tug just went down as well. And wow. they, and they're taking filmmakers with them as well uh, for, for gross mismanagement from the, at, at this point, that's all we know that it was gross mismanagement on the company's part and filmmakers and customers are suffering be- the reason why these companies are starting to fall is because the system is not built to handle what's happening. The, yeah. the, the old school or the old world way of doing things is dead. Yeah. If, you know, if you go to these markets, you'll see that there's, you know, there's a lot of people are still trying to hold on to the old way of doing things. Like every industry, and I've studied this immensely, it's just it just God, I've read hundreds of books about this, where you and watch hundreds of videos about this and, and shows and stuff, where the old guard holds on when the new technology shows up. Mm-hmm. It happens again from when it was the Model T, to oil, to the train, to Google, to Apple, to the home computer, to the telephone. You know, there was people that were ragging on the, on the telephone. There was re- people that were ragging on television. They are mm-hmm. like, "Oh, this is this is a fad," because right. they're holding on to what they know because the unknown is very scary. I mean, I read an entire book just on MP3s and how the MP3, the technology of MP3, completely destroyed the music industry. Yeah. So if you want to analyze and you want to see what happens is happening to our business, just look at publishing. And then look at the music industry. It happened to both yeah, of those industries. Right. Mm-hmm. Specifically the music industry, because it's the exact same model. The artists that the artists used to make money from the exploitation of their of their art, meaning record sales. And then their ancillary was like, Oh, they could do some touring, and that really just is there to help record sales. That's what yeah. that was about. Now it's completely flipped on its head. The touring is the money, and the record sales is a loss leader. Mm -hmm. they give their music away because there's no value in music as much as there was before, because before music used to cost $20, $18 to get a song that you liked. Mm -hmm. You know, you and me are both old enough to know that, that time. Uh, But, but now it's free. Music is free. You can watch it on YouTube for free. Just listen to a couple ads. You have Spotify paying artists a 10th of a cent per view or per listen so what do you think it's happening? To, what do you think it's happening? It's going happen to happen to the to the film industry. Yeah. The film industry is going to it's it's happening now. The val there's a devaluation of media, especially movies, TV, because people are watching it for free. They're downloading it off torrent sites, um, or they're just watching it on on Prime or Netflix or Hulu or any of the hundreds, if not thousands, of OTT or streaming services out there. Yeah. So why would someone rent your movie for 499 when they know in 30 days or 60 days if not if you're stupid that long um it's going to be available on prime or netflix or hulu or one of your or one of these services and if it's not it's okay i've got 5000 shows to watch in my queue
0: <laughs>
1: am i wrong am i wrong I'm like oh that's nice I've got five thousand things to watch. If you're, if you're, if your movie, oh, I just heard about your movie. Oh, it's not available for free or not part of my subscription. Uh, okay, maybe I'll remember it. It's done. You're over. It's over. <laughs> that's why AVOD is having such a a, a, a boom right now. Advertising yeah. video on demand, like Tubi and Pluto and Prime, for that matter. Even though that's not advertising based, but subscription based, basically everyone has it. So those are the places where filmmakers are making money right now. But yeah. it's still not enough. It doesn't support the filmmaking process at the budget levels, like you're looking at a half a million dollar movie with no stars in it. I wish you the best of luck. You know, you're talking about a 500,000 movie. That's a generalized film. That's like, I'm just going to do a general romantic comedy with nobody stars and no, no crack on the stars, but without marketable stars, let's say, um, Mm -hmm. you're done. You're done. Unless you become a film entrepreneur. The only way forward for independent filmmakers, is becoming an entrepreneurial filmmaker. Whether you like it or not, you can bitch about it, you can moan about it, you can yell about it, knock yourself out. But there is no other way forward for independent films. We're talking about half a million and below budgets, which, by the way, that's where all the budgets are going. They're going lower and lower and lower. I spoke at AFM this year. You know what panel I was on? Micro-budget filmmaking. Oh. at the american film market i was brought onto a okay. panel to talk about micro budget filmmaking because they realize that that's where everything's going the budgets are getting so low because they can't make money otherwise now right. is there is there a place where independent filmmakers are making independent films are making money at a larger level absolutely you're a sundance winner you've got some stars attached you want to get on a24 or neon or you have you have outlets already laid out you have relationship set up, there's a whole other ecosystem that we're not invited to. Right. Period. It's an elite yeah. system. And even that system is having problems sustaining. As you know that just because you yeah. win Sundance or you're in Sundance doesn't guarantee anything. Doesn't guarantee a thing yeah. in this world. Before it was an automatic, automatic check. You got the Sundance, automatic check. You won Sundance. Oh, here's a lot of money. That was automatic. Those days are gone. So Mm -hmm. there is an ecosystem that lives above us. You know, did you ever see Blade Runner? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, so we're at the bottom level where the food is really good. Where everyone's (laughs) talking like, that's where we live. Okay, that's where we live. The studio system is the pyramid. Where the owl is, that's the studio. And then somewhere in between is the higher level indie film. Uh, you know the higher end indie films that have these million, two, three, four, five million dollar budget films. That's that. That's where they live. But we're at the street level, where the food is great. But honestly, right. I don't know if you want to live there. Uh, yes. <laughs> so
0: exactly that's exactly you know
1: it, it's it's much more entertaining down there. I have to say, but <laughs> that's where we are. So as filmmakers, if we do not change our mindset because we've been sold an old bag of goods. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what we've been, it's an old way of doing things. You're, you're, I know filmmakers who are making movies like it was still the 90s. They're making movies like there's still a DVD market. Yeah. They're making movies like there is a foreign market for the kind of film they're making.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They have to change their mentality. If not, the independent film world will not survive. In the way that we know it, it will. I don't believe the studio system is going to survive the way we know it. I feel the studio system mm. is going to collapse upon itself. There's going to be a few winners, and it's going to consolidate, just like the film, just like the publishing companies, just like the labels, just like banks, like all of them. And and it's right. going to happen at the next downturn, the next economic yeah. downturn. Because don't forget, we're in a good economic time, arguably speaking. Yep. Yep. We and are. we've been good for. We've been good for 10 12 years it's been a decade over a decade since we had the 2008 crash right yeah. So we're due we're late we're late. So when that downturn does happen historically it has to then there's going to be blood in the water and I believe that a lot of the foundation that a lot of these companies and distribution companies are built upon which is sand is going to crumble. They have no solid foundations. the one that have solid foundations will survive. But they're going to be mm-hmm. rare, and there's going to be blood in the water. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying to warn as many filmmakers as possible that you've got to change your mindset. If you don't change the mindset and become more of an entrepreneurial filmmaker, you're not going to make it. If you don't understand – I lay it out so clearly in the book. Mm-hmm. It's a blueprint on yep. what to do. It's literally a blueprint, and it works for every kind of film, whether it's faith-based whether it's an art house film whether it's an action whether it's a romantic comedy whatever it is it, this model works and it can work right. at the $3000 budget range it could work at the $3 million range the higher the budget the more savvy and the more uh, experienced you have to become because to recoup that kind right. of budget any just period let alone through a film entrepreneurial model there has to be a lot of infrastructure set up for that. That's, Disney, that's why Disney owns everything because they've, been taking, they've taken the last 30 years to build this infrastructure up. And, mm-hmm. and by the way, I, I don't know if you know or not, I, I actually went into Disney's corporate filings because it's public record. And I wanted to see where they're making their money. I, I was curious because the studio oh. system stopped being movie studios a long time ago. They don't make movies. That's not their business anymore. And it's not, and I'll prove it to you. So Disney, what's the number one way Disney makes the $70 billion, by the way, 2019, $70 billion. It generated gross revenue. What's the number one category in your opinion? Merchandising. Nope. Merchandising. Nope. Hmm. Resorts and and oh. uh, resorts and entertainment of that nature. So all their their theme parks, resorts, hotels, all of that. But don't yeah. forget there's a there's a big portion of that number that has merchandise in it because they sell a lot of merchandise during all that in, in, in that yeah. in those parks. So that's number one. What's number two? Ancillary products. Nope. Networks and subscription services. So ESPN, uh, ABC, of Disney Plus, that that business model. So it's that's an ancillary revenue stream. It's not the, exp- the specific exploitation of films and media, right. but they own the distribution of that. So they're making the money on the distribution of that, not the actual mm. movies. Third is the actual movies, that, where they're making their box office, the exploitation of the, of the movies themselves. And then fourth huh. is merchandising. But with that said... You combine number one, number two, and number four, and it dwarfs their movies. Yeah. Their movies are nothing more than marketing to sell products. A friend of right. mine works at Disney. He's an animator at Disney, and they brought him into the office one day, and they said, "This is how we break down our movies." And this is public public knowledge, but this is how how we want you guys to understand how they make movie, how they make their money, how they make money on each film. And they brought up all of the the movies, the animated movies, and. You know, Mulan did this and Aladdin did that and Wreck-It Ralph did this and then Frozen shows up. And Frozen is like 80, 10, 10. 10% was box office. 10% was DVD and and rentals. 80% was merchandise. Wow. And by the way, Frozen made over a billion dollars. Yeah. Just so you understand. Mm-hmm. On the dresses, remember those little dresses that all the girls were wearing when Frozen came out. Oh, the Anna, my gosh. just just the dresses, huh. was a billion a billion dollars. Amazing. On the dresses, on the dresses. But Disney is the ultimate film entrepreneur because they built their entire model. They understood this is where the, mar- the 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 market was going. So what did mm-hmm. they do? They purchased every IP they could get their hands on. They bought ABC, they bought Marvel, Pixar. Uh, Fox, Star Wars. Right. They yep. bought all of them. So now mm-hmm. they, they're they basically a money-making machine right. because they own the IPs that everybody wants. They're creating new IPs through these companies. And then the second the, the movie is done, it's pumped right out of their system through merchandise, through networks, through their resorts. They're just feeding their ancillary revenue streams with this new media. But do you understand the exploitation of the media itself is not the important part. It's all the other money they're making off of those movies. And that's right. what I tried to do with the film entrepreneur method is to take that model and bring it down to the bottom level of Blade Runner and go, guys, here are the tools to do the same thing. And you don't have to make millions of dollars. Wow, that's great. You know, you that's could just a great way to look at it. That's the thing. A lot of filmmakers think that you have to be billionaires and millionaires and all of because that's what the stories that Hollywood puts out. No, man. If you made one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and you live in Kansas a year, making movies, are you good? Are are you good? You know, if you're on if you're in, in Ontario, I don't know how you know, or Montreal, yeah. And you know, I don't know what it cost the cost of living is there. But if you're making six figures, low six figures. Or high five figures, Mm -hmm. is that enough to put food on the table for your family? And you love doing what you're doing, isn't that the dream? Mm -hmm. You don't need to make a half a million or a million or two million dollars a year. Is it nice? Sure, great. You know, but it doesn't have to be. If you make a movie for three thousand dollars and you make six thousand dollars, that's a that's that's a start. Now you have one product in your Portfolio. Now you make another five thousand dollars movies, and that one makes twenty thousand. But now you're still, but you're still generating revenue from the first one. And now you right. do two, three, four, five of them, and all of a sudden you have all these revenue streams coming in. And all of a sudden you look at your your bank account and you go, wait a minute, I'm financially free. And if right. you ask yourself the question, what does that mean? Well, like that means you can retire. You wouldn't retire, but what are you doing? Oh, you've built enough assets that are making enough money for you. That it covers your monthly expenses. That is financial freedom. Yeah. Does that make not, sense?
0: Not. Yeah, for sure. And it's not really without outside of our reach. You know. It's no. Are our we reach t- to do that? What's, you know, so necessary. you just you
1: you ask yourself, okay, how much money do I need to make a month that I don't have to have a job? Right. I don't have to work for a paycheck somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Is that number three thousand dollars? Is that number four thousand dollars? Is that number five thousand dollars? Is it ten thousand dollars? Whatever that number is. Get to that number and start yeah. building assets to do that. Mm-hmm. You start building films and all these ancillary product lines from those films. And you can start, like, and, and then you continue to build on that and build on that and build on that because those rev, revenue streams are not going to keep going forever. That, you know, I don't make as much money now, I'm broken than I did when I first came out with it. Right. But it still trickles. And then as you start building a library, all of a sudden you're like holy cow and then how about if you start building a business around a, of topic, a kind of topic kind of a kind of niche which haven't we haven't even said the word niche in this entire interview yeah, which we have to really right. do um you you build an entire business around a niche like the example of fork over knives that documentary about plant eating mm-hmm. uh, plant-based eating they've built a multi-million dollar empire off of a documentary yeah. because they were thinking like film entrepreneurs they provided a service to a group of people a niche audience that wanted, they were passionate and emotionally attached to what they were doing, and they're good now. Food mm-hmm. Matters is another one that I talk about in them as an example. They did that as well. You know, even a short film, Kung Fury. If you remember that movie, I don't know if you saw that short film. If if I never you haven't, you've got to watch it. It's like this '80s short film. It's free on YouTube. It's like Kung this Fury. '80s Kung Fury. It's like this really ridiculous '80s spoof film. That they they sold products for it like crazy because they were oh. aiming at people who love the eighties. Oh, and by the way, they just financed their feature film version that has Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Oh, cool. Yeah, and they crowd and they crowdfunded it through Kickstarter, and they had David Hasselhoff do the the music for it. Huh. But this is, but you you see, it doesn't only have to be documentaries. There's ways of yeah. providing service or entertainment, and entertainment is a form of service mm-hmm. to to your audience. And the one thing we haven't discussed is niche. So the whole basis of the film entrepreneur method is to provide value to a niche audience. As I say, the riches are in the niches. Yep. Some mm-hmm. people say niche. I'd like to say niche. I'm American. <laughs> that's just the way it is. And it rhymes yeah. with riches. So that's the way I'm going to say it. Um, so, the, the most powerful thing in the arsenal of the film entrepreneur or of the filmmaker in general is the niche. Because if you think about it, when you're scanning through your Netflix, if you're scanning through Amazon Prime or Hulu or wherever you're watching your movies and your content, if you're a skateboarder and all of a sudden you see a movie about skateboarding or you see a movie about uh, a documentary about skateboarding, that automatically jumps up to the top of the list, doesn't it? Yep. If you're a if you're a surfer, um, if, if faith based as well, like mm-hmm. those films will jump over the hundreds of billions of dollars that the studios pay for you to know that the next Avengers or Star Wars is coming out because yes. you're going to watch those anyway. But when you get to it, and you will get to watching those, but all of a sudden. You're focused on that thing. Why? Because you're emotionally attached to it. That's the key. There's an emotional attachment. So when the movie came out a few months ago called Game Changers, which was a a documentary about plant-based athletes. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's in it, and and it was a big documentary. It's actually the number one documentary of all time on iTunes. That's Mm. how powerful it was. And for me, I because I'm, I'm vegan, I, I eat plant-based, and it's something I'm passionate about, I I sought it out. Every other show, movie, it just completely melted away because that was what I wanted to see. And until I finally saw it, I, I, I wasn't happy. Why? Because I was emotionally attached right. to that film because I wanted that, that information. I wanted to see what it had to say, I, all of it. I mean, if you if I can use um, the example of the last temptation of Christ. Yeah. You know, Mel, Jesus, he hit something so powerful because so many people, that was a, a niche audience that was so underserved. Yeah. And he kind of started the whole faith-based movement, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? Yeah, he Is was one of the,
0: he was on the edge of the spear.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, he he was, I think that was the first time that Hollywood said, wait a minute. Yeah people like jesus let's make some movies yeah. uh <laughs> right <laughs> because they don't care about anything except the color of green they'll make yeah. whatever if it's making the money yeah so that's started the whole thing but look what he was able to do he made a movie that he financed himself because nobody would give him money for it right. i think it cost like 20 million dollars or something Seven, like that. i
0: think it was more like 70 million he put 70 million of his own money into that
1: good well he's very passionate yes exactly. uh, needless to say um uh, but that was a gamble that paid off because it yeah, was the biggest sure. independent film i think it's not still the biggest independent but it's still one of the biggest r rated independent films of all time yeah. yeah and he made gazillions of dollars yep why because there was an emotional attachment to the audience mm-hmm. it stopped all other media, all other media just melted away because you're like, I gotta go see this. And not only do I have to go see it, I gotta get my friends to go see it. Right. And not do I only to get my friends to go see it, I gotta go get my church to go see it. And right. you went back to see it again and again. It became a communal thing, it became an emotional thing. And that emotion is what you need to tap into as mm. a film entrepreneur. Create an emotional tie with your audience, and you will you don't need millions of dollars in marketing. You no. need to just get them to know that it exists. And there's and I talk about many ways to, to market for free or partner and other things like that in the book on how to be able to do that. But that's the key of this whole method.
0: Yeah. You might be interested in Dallas Jenkins and his mm-hmm. Chosen miniseries. I don't know if you've seen The Chosen, but mm-hmm. it, they, they raised $11 million for mm-hmm. a miniseries on the life of Christ. And they had okay. nothing. They started with absolute zero um, – you know, followers, all this, but it broke all the records for uh, crowdfunding through this platform, and um, now they they are distributing it on an app.
1: But there's a difference. The marketplace wants that.
0: Yes, and it's a different. Now it's a different it.
1: time, and it's also a different time. People are oh, much absolutely. More
0: used to, you were ahead used of the game to. way back then. You know <laughs> i
1: i've been I've been the blood. I've been the one with the, as they say, the first one over the hill that has the arrows in their back. That's um, right. And 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 that's what I've been doing that most of my career. Um, so I'm good with that. Like when I launched Indie Film Hustle TV, people were like, dude, like, really? I'm like, hey, let's see what happens. Yeah. You know, I'm not the first one to come out with a podcast uh, by any stretch. There were, there were other filmmaking podcasts that were out before me, but uh, there was none that was as prolific as I was. No, so I that's was doing for sure.
0: That's Two to sure. three yeah. a
1: week. I was doing two to three a week. So oh my insane. gosh.
0: That's all you Yeah, I don't know how you did it. I honestly don't know how you do it. I mean, I, I struggle. I struggle to get one out every two weeks. and uh, I know.
1: was doing two to three a week. And, uh, and now I still do two to three a week. But now through three podcasts, not just one podcast. And where I think on episode 374 is going to go out later today or tomorrow.
0: Wow. And
1: uh, we're getting close to 400 episodes on just Indie Film Hustle. Uh, alone. Yeah.
0: And you've got the audience who wants it, you know, you got a great audience.
1: The tribe. I I can't look, man, my tribe is, uh, is everything to me. I, I, you know, like when the whole distributor thing happened uh, and for people who don't know distributor was a film aggregator that basically closed down and basically screwed people out of millions, filmmakers, millions of dollars. And, and, and the suffering still continues because filmmakers are still trying to get access to their films and things like that. I came out guns a blaring with that, and I made no money off that. That wasn't a that wasn't a, a profit play. It was I have to do this because mm-hmm. I I was privileged with some information before anybody else knew about it. I was literally at the very beginning of the process, just like mm. Tug was. I was two days ago when I found out about Tug. It was before anybody knew what was going on with Tug, oh. and but people were people were like, "What's going on?" And I came out and and informed the community about it. Uh, you know, distributor. The whole distributor thing was, it was, it actually. I kind of lost money with that because I had a a boot camp or event that I was putting on. I had to cancel it because all my attention was consumed by this this crisis. Oh, no. And I was doing I was doing daily updates on my Facebook group. I created a Facebook group. Uh, specifically for that, for people to come and talk and to inform people and share information because it was a crisis. I mean, we're talking about thousands of filmmakers and millions upon millions of dollars. I know certain filmmakers that lost quarter of a million dollars by themselves oh off of money that, that, that was the stripper had stolen basically from them. And, and uh, there's a lot of alleged uh, f- uh, fraud and things like that going on. Um, there was definitely gross mismanagement. But there's been other things that have come out in the press that is um, that there is potential fraud, uh, you know, alleged fraud in that situation. So and that's still an on is completely ongoing issue. But I did that because it was my responsibility to my audience, to my tribe, Uh, you know, and on top of that, I also was a big proponent of them. I promoted that company very a lot because they they were great. Uh, there was certain time they did really well with my first film. I had people on my show that were, they, they were like evangelizing them. Like, this is the way they're great. They do this and that. And I said to myself, I can't sit back. You know, I was just talking to somebody today about it. I'm like, imagine if I would have just sat back and said nothing about it, ignored yeah. it. I would have looked horrible mm. and it would have been the wrong thing to do. You know so when I came out I, I I didn't just come out a little bit I I came out oh, I remember uh, I, just I, had came to, out.
0: I had no idea what was going on until I heard it from you on a one of your podcasts I
1: was like oh yeah that's, that's and it. I, what's going on here and it all of a sudden yeah. and then it went viral it went extremely viral and then the main news media the you know the 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 big news outlet started picking it up I was in the l a Times and uh, you know, variety and indie wire. And I became this poster child for this thing. Yeah. It's something I didn't sign up for, but I, I held that. I, I, I took that <laughs> on my shoulders. Look, look, it was a very, you know, believe it or not, it was extremely stressful for me because people yeah, were I, I could tell looking, looking at me for guidance and like, and they're desperate and they're in pain. And I'm like, this is a lot of pressure, like I, 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 you know, it was an extremely, it was an extremely interesting couple of months because it was kind of like I was put through the fire. I didn't do anything wrong, but I felt like I was being put by the fire because of all the attention and all right. this, you know, everything. And people were just like constantly looking at me to be a leader. I have no yeah. problem doing that. I'm a director. I'll be. I'm. I. I can lead, and that's yeah. what I did. So now this whole tug thing came up a couple of days ago. I'm like, oh, this is old hat. I know how to do the, I deal with this. And it's exactly the way. I have a template. I've already gone through this, guys. Let's, this is how you yeah. do it. And yeah. in the next few days, we're going to find out more information. And the next day, more information. And then slowly or surely, the you know, once we get through the rubble, we'll find out truly what happened. And, uh, and I'm, I, and I'm helping that community out of all these filmmakers. You know, I know filmmakers who've lost 15, 20 grand. On screenings and things like that because of this gross mismanagement of this company, but again, we go back to the film entrepreneur method. If your only focus of making money with your film is the exploitation of the film, you're doomed from the beginning because in this right. world, that's not where the money is anymore. You've right. got to control your revenue streams. You've got to be creative and create revenue streams. Uh, the book is just mm-hmm. littered with case studies of how these of how yeah. these amazing film entrepreneurs. Are doing it and it gives you ideas of what you could do with your own films. And uh, there's no doubt about it that you're going to have to work and you're going to have to hustle. This is not what you, this probably is not what you signed up for. Mm -hmm. You signed up for, oh, I'm going to go to film school. I'm going to make some, I'm going to work in the business. I'm going to make some short films and maybe I'll make a feature, have a distributor take care of it and cut me a check and I'll be able to do it again. And then maybe the studio system will keep you know pluck me out of obscurity and then right. I could start doing studio movies and I could build a career join the DGA and uh, maybe the writers guild if I'm a writer get a nice pension and uh and live in the hollywood hills eventually mm-hmm. and you know, after maybe 10 or 15 years of working hard uh during all that that that's gone it's yeah. gone does it happen sure but it's a lottery ticket it is not the world that we live in today mm-hmm. and the world we live in today is a film entrepreneurial world if you right. don't do it or don't team up with people who know how to do it you're not going to make it it's just going to be it's going to be difficult and there's, like i said there's always exempt, uh, there's always exceptions there's always outliers but generally speaking you know you need yeah, to I mean for every success
0: out. story there's there's 20 to 30 40 failures stories you know that, that so
1: imagine you- if napoleon dynamite if they would have held on to their merchandising rights yeah, they would have been millionaires a hundred times over. Yeah, because the the merchandise of that outsold the movie
0: yeah.
1: by tenfold, and that movie made like fifty million bucks in the box office. Yeah. So that moment in time, if the filmmakers would have held on, they would have done it. I mean, look, one of the granddaddies of the film entrepreneur method is my man George Lucas. Yeah, of course. He's the, the one. in
0: the lunch boxes. <laughs> money's in
1: the lunch boxes. Idiots, like that's where the money is. He figured that out in the '70s, where Hollywood was saying, "Oh, nobody buys movie-related merchandise," right. so they gave it to him and also gave him the sequel rights. You know, unfortunately, because of that deal, those things are gone from all future contracts. <laughs> in the so, like, you opened the door and shut it right behind them. It was yeah. just, this, it was similar to what Bill Gates did with with uh, MS DOS. IBM could have bought MS DOS, and and Bill's like, no, 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 uh, I'm gonna license MS DOS to you instead of buying it. And they're like, well, the money's really in the hardware, so yeah, we'll just license it. And there you go. And one of the greatest fortunes in yeah. the history of mankind was created off of that one moment. Yeah,
0: that's hard simple to Simple
1: as that, that man. It's, is it simple as that, guys? Yeah. So if you don't think like a business person, uh, because I hate to tell you this is a business, uh, you know, like I, I like uh, a friend of mine, Suzanne Lyons, says there's the word show and there's the word business, and the word business yeah. has twice as many letters as the word show there's a reason for that. There's right. a reason for that. So I hope that the, I hope people, and the book is doing very well, by the way, I was, I, I'm amazed at how well it's selling. The reviews have been insane. People are really finding value with it. I find people are buying the audiobook and then buying the hardcover or the paperback book so they can make notes okay. in it, you hmm. know, because they're just trying to, it's dense. You know, the book is pretty dense. It,
0: no, it's a great, it's not really, it was an easy read. It's an easy read, but there's, Packed with packs. information, yes. You have to go back and read it again to digest it. But uh, yeah, it's a fantastic resource. I, I don't know of anything quite like it uh, in the market yet. I mean, I've got, I've got gobs of film books and uh, you know, this was there's nothing,
1: really a great delight. There's nothing like it because uh, I saw – I I I'm, I used the film entrepreneur method on the book. I yeah. said, well, my audience, there is a hole in the marketplace for information like this there's a hole in the marketplace for this book cuz there's nothing like it that exists there's nothing like it ever been written so i think this is a great play, this is a great product that i can sell and be of service to my audience right. and to any filmmaker moving forward and i i really want it to become a revolution i want it to be a complete mind yes. shift for mm-hmm. filmmakers mm-hmm. they have to and that's why i created a podcast for it and a website for it and and just really just preaching this to, from the choir i mean it's like right. from the top of the hill like right. i gotta i gotta keep getting it out there And that's why i, I want to do as many of these shows as i can uh to really just get it out there and you know it's i even show you how to get the book for free on audible like i even tell you how to do it yeah um because i just want you to get the book yeah um but i'm also making money when you get it for free so don't think you're not supporting me <laughs> i'm always the I'm always a film entrepreneur, my friend. When you, download, when you download your free trial at Audible through my link, I get paid. And I get paid yeah. when you download my book. So I'm good. Don't worry about me. <laughs> I just want you to get the information. <laughs> For sure. There was that part in, There's that part in the book where I actually am explaining to the reader, hey, guys, I'm using the film entrepreneur method on you right now. And I go right. here. Let me make it, let me make it easy for you. Here's the website to my movie. And then I said, don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah. And it's that's right. It's the that's exactly but I wanted right. to be so I wanted to be so crystal clear. I'm like, guys, you're you're I'm using this power on you right now. It's not deceitful. I'm not trying to scam you. Um, but I want you to see the power of this. Yep. And, and then when you read that, what did you do? I'm dying to know. When you read that line, you were like, what did you say?
0: Oh, I said, this makes total sense.
1: Yeah. You're just like, ah, he's right. He got it. <laughs> oh, good. Yes. That's what I wanted. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Let me ask you this question. If you could dial back, um, if you could dial the clock back, let's say yes. 20, 25 years and you were a filmmaker. Sure. Yes. Are you happier? Do you th- are you? Would you be ex- more excited now or back then? Do you wish no. you could go back to the film world that as it was back then?
1: No, today, no question yeah. about it. Yeah, I, there's so much more. The difference is this: I, I'm kind of built for this time. You yeah. see, there's certain there's certain time periods that certain people are built for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So, you know, like uh Henry Ford was built for that time. Vanderbilt, uh Rockefeller, Carnegie. Those guys built our country with the you know, oil, uh steel and the railroads and you know and the and the car. Um and then you know Tesla and and Edison and those guys, they're built for that time. Okay? Mm-hmm. Filmmakers I feel are the same way. There are certain filmmakers that are built for certain times. Spielberg is was built for the 70s and the 80s, and and moving forward. But to get his launch,
0: mm-hmm.
1: does, you know is Steven Spielberg born today? Is he a YouTuber?
0: Yeah, exactly. Possibly.
1: He? He's probably a YouTuber. Yeah, I
0: would you think know
1: so. is Mar- is Martin Scorsese doing? What is Martin Scorsese doing if he's a 18 year old right now? Yeah you know what is kubrick oh my god could you imagine yeah. what is kubrick or hitchcock doing in today's world there's certain people that are born at certain times, steve jobs bill gates you know te, you know elon you know elon musk right now with what he's doing with spacex and and tesla yeah. you know there's certain people so i feel by the way I am not on that list at all. I don't even want to compare myself to any of those people. I'm just saying, now, I am now. no, 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 no. I want to make that very clear. I'm just using them as examples. I can't even shine their shoes. But uh, with that said, I feel from my own personal point of view is that this is a perfect time for me and my message of what I'm trying to do. This message doesn't work 15 years ago. It doesn't work right. because the technology is not available. The technology is not there. You can't use the film entrepreneur method in 1985. You can, but man, is it going to be hard. Yeah. It's going to be, be it's going to be well
0: resourced.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be brutal. Can you do this in 95? Not really. Not the way I lay it out because the world is different. So this moment in time like you said originally when you we first started the interview, it was like hey this kind of fell at the right time you know especially what's going on right now in the world this is the time for this message to get out into the world
0: mm-hmm. and i
1: feel that i'm built to do that message i feel that i i i'm i you know i have the experience i have the 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 the, the scars the the shrapnel yep. and 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 uh, the experience of what I've done with Indie Film Hustle, which is exactly what is in the book, but transferred to filmmakers, I feel it's time. I think this is the perfect time for this. So to answer your question, long answer to your question, I do believe I would love to stay here um, because I feel that this is a much more exciting time. Also because I don't know where everything is going. So there's (laughs) that. Like, hey, would it be cool to go back you know in the in the late 60s and and invent the personal computer sure that you know i'd love to go back and hang out with steve jobs in that in that uh in that garage in palo alto you know but that's it's not that's not what i'm built to do
0: right uh well, you I, know i i, I'm I agree here. with you i i think this is the most exciting time in film history because now it's sort of a democratization of everything. It the the entry, the entry point into doing films and getting them distributed is so low. It's so accessible to those who want to work hard and learn their craft, and um, as as a faith based filmmaker, um, you know, I look at the history of, of Christian film, faith based film, and you know, it, it's not. It hasn't been a very pleasant ride for for most of. Or this audience uh, because it is underserved and Hollywood never d- didn't really do a good job of serving it. And when Christian Christian or faith-based filmmakers would get into uh, trying to make a film, they met so much resistance uh, regarding the content and they had to change stuff. Now we have no excuses, even as independent filmmakers, we can make an, an independent film about anything we want. If we can figure out how to market it, and and do what you say as as getting uh, multiple streams of income off mm-hmm. of this one piece of content uh, and expand that um, the the possibilities are limitless, you know. No, and,
1: there's no question. the The same thing that happened with editing systems when Final Cut showed up, yeah. uh, When Final Cut showed up, it was a democratization of editing. Now you didn't have to have an avid and spend a million dollars for an edit suite. Now everyone could edit. The yeah. problem is everyone can edit. So <laughs> it's it's both sides of the coin. It's like, yeah. oh, it's great that everyone can edit, but the problem is everyone can edit. So it the marketplace changes. So that's what's happened with our film industry. Where yeah. before, if you were in 1985, you made a movie, you sold it. Any movie. Yeah. If you finished a film, it was sold. Someone yes. bought it and you made money with it. You know, Toxic Avenger got released. I mean, seriously. Which I I I do love Toxic Avenger. But anyway, um uh, but yeah, but it didn't matter. Now everybody and their mother's finished a feature. Yeah. Now the now the the barrier of entry is so easy for filmmakers to make a movie. That's not the problem. The new problem is making money with it. The new mm-hmm. problem is getting it to an audience. Before there was no competition. Now there's thousands upon thousands. There's so much content that it will take 20 lifetimes to watch everything mm-hmm. that's being created. You know, what is it? Uh, Netflix this year is going to spend 18 billion, 12 billion, 15 billion in content. You know, yeah. um, Fox, uh, I mean, uh, HBO is going to spend another four or five million, billion. You know, Apple is just like dipping their toe. But if, when they when yeah. they decide to get serious... Oh man, they can buy, they they, they could just buy everything cash. So there's so much content. There's like 2000 shows or something like that being produced. It's insane. And then that's just this year, let alone the last hundred years of content that's still being Mm. consumed, let alone the last, you know, 30 or 40 years that's really relevant content that people are still consuming. There's so much, and then let's not even talk about YouTube which is, you know, there's how many hours yeah. are being uploaded on a day uh, per minute every day. And let's not talk about video games and f- social media. There's so much competition for our attention. Films aren't what they used to be. So you've got to be able to connect with an audience on an emotional level.
0: Yeah,
1: And that's the only way you're going to make it. That's where faith-based films have such a, a, a very powerful thing. But now even that, there is a lot of competition in the faith-based world. I've worked on in post, I worked on a couple of faith-based films. So I mm-hmm. kind of got the inside view of what that's like to make one of them, sell them what yeah. they generate, you know, there's there is a lot of competition now in the faith-based space. Um, you know, before you could make a Christmas movie now, there's thousands of Christmas movies. <laughs> being made every year before you're like, Oh, I'm good. I got a Christmas movie. I watch it every year. It's going to, I'm going to make money now, yep. you know, Hallmark's They, they, they finished that Netflix. Now that fact, that's the end of that. They just pumping out so many Christmas movies that that's, yeah. that's also a, a cluttered, uh, a cluttered environment. So yes, there's very. no safe, there's no safe place unless you find a niche and there's a faith, the faith-based niche is large, but then within the faith, faith-based niche, there's multiple sub niches that you can build yep, to, that's right. um, you know, different sets of of the religion, you know, mm-hmm. different, se- you know, different uh, concepts, some that are heavier on the on the on the religion. Some of them are lighter on the religion there, right. you know, funny comedies, family, you know, all these kind of things. There's so many different ways to to, you know, to skin that cat, as they say. Uh, there's potential, but you have to think outside the box. Well,
0: Alex, this has been fantastic. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share course. your your, uh, your information and knowledge. And um, I, this is going to serve my community well. You can find Alex's stockpile of free content at IndieFilmHustle.com. And last year, Alex launched IFH TV, which as he mentioned in the podcast is highly curated content for filmmakers. I've been subscribed to IFH TV since December and have enjoyed it immensely. Any subject you might need as a filmmaker is covered from the obvious things like cinematography, sound, acting, and writing to things you might not think about, such as producing, distribution, and how to best use various social media platforms. A subscription is $9.95 per year as of the date of this podcast, which only comes to $8.33 per month. That's a great value. You'll find it at IndieFilmHustle.tv. Thank you for joining me on the Ministry of Motion Pictures podcast. You'll find show notes and more information about us at MinistryOfMotionPictures.org.
1: What we do in life echoes in eternity.